And so we will begin in book two at the section called worship. Book two focuses on the church. And so the first part is all about Jesus building the church. And then the second part of the book is all about how Jesus has organized the church. We looked at that, we looked at that last week. And we're down to the worship and the name of the church. We're focusing on the worship of the church for a little while uh, this evening. So let's see uh, yeah, what pops up here. John 4.24 uh, is our first uh, passage. John 4.24, we've already gone over this once, but it's an important verse for worship. God is spirit, Jesus says. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, first question, must we worship God in spirit and in truth? Yes or no? The second passage here is from John seventeen seventeen, Jesus' prayer to His Father. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. So, what is truth? Yes, God's word is truth. Okay. And then this, since we must worship God in truth, must we worship as God has directed in the Bible? Yes. yes. Okay. So this gets us introduced to the section uh, in worship. Okay. And so we have a passage here from Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, and we have some young fellows here on the front pew that's going to help us read through some of these passages. Who's got Matthew 15? Seven through nine. Okay, go ahead, Andrew. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips? But their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching us his doctrine, the commandments of men. Okay, very good. So, question is, is it possible to worship God in vain? Yes, of course it is. And then, if we worship God according to the commandments of uninspired men, will God accept this kind of worship? No. Okay, very good. In vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines and commandments of men. Alright, next passage in our booklet is Luke 22 about the Lord's Supper, verses 19 and 20. Who's got that one for us? And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, and this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Okay, very good. The question along with this passage is, Did Jesus command His disciples to partake of the Lord's Supper? Yes, very much so. All right. <coughs> Next passage comes from 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, also concerning uh, the Lord's Supper. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a preparation in, w- in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a preparation 
in the body of Christ. Okay, so notice that from 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. You see that there? The cup and the bread that we break during the Lord's Supper. And then here are the questions. The cup is a communion of the what of Christ? Blood of Christ. And then the bread is a communion of the the body of Christ. Very good. Alright. Next passage. Concerning also the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Paul traveling and um, he stays in Troas uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper. Let's read about that. Acts 20 and verse 7. Not on our list. So we'll just read that from It says in Acts 20 and verse 7, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech all the way till uh, midnight. So, it says here, When God told the Israelites in Exodus 20 and verse 8 to remember the Sabbath, we remember this from the Ten Commandments, but he's making a point here, he said, when God told the Israelites in Exodus 20 and verse 8 to remember the Sabbath, did He mean for them to keep every Sabbath day? Yes. Okay. And so, when those Christians met upon the first day of the week to eat the Lord's Supper, did they do it on the first day of each week? Yes. It makes good sense. And then, should Christians today eat the Lord's Supper upon the first day of the week? Yeah, very good. All right. Moving on now uh, to Acts 2 and 42. It says, uh, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. This is Acts 2. This is the day of Pentecost, of course, the, the very beginnings of the church. And you have a lot of writing to do there. The disciples uh, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the fellowship and the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, and uh, the prayers as well. Will we be pleasing to God if we continue steadfastly in these things today? Yes, very good. Now, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2. Okay, go ahead. Now concerning the collections for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Okay, so here are a couple of questions to go along with the instruction about giving on the first day of the week. Is it God's will that we give as we have been prospered? And then, are we to make a contribution on the same day that we partake of the Lord's Supper? Yes. Okay. Now, if you're wondering if you're sitting sitting with someone at a table and you're going over this, then there is not much more to it than this. What I usually do, if, if the ones that we are sitting down with, if they are comfortable reading, then I urge them to read the Scripture. And then I'll read the question and we'll just fill in the blanks. And with very little comment, we just go, go from verse to verse because after a while, the teachings become very self-explanatory. 
So appreciate this good reading here from 1 Corinthians uh, 16, verses uh, 1 and 2. And here's a red flag that, um, that we throw in here, but it's a very important point. Okay? Notice this. How often do churches that you attend partake of the Lord's Supper? All right. And then, follow-up question to that. How often do churches you attend take up a collection? Okay. And then notice this concluding uh, remark here. It makes a good point. I wonder uh, why they observe a weekly collection, but not the memorial of our Lord. Do they care more about their money than they do the Lord's death? And that's a thought-provoking question, and we just kind of leave it right there. But the Bible teaches both to give on the first day of the week and to partake of the Lord's Supper, as you very well know. Alright? From Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19. Ephesians 5. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Okay, so this gets us into another part of New Testament worship, which of course is the musical part, the singing uh, part. So question, are we to sing, yes or no? Does this passage mention mechanical instruments of music? Okay, it does not. Okay, and then here's a little history lesson. Church historians tell us that the followers of Christ did not use mechanical instruments of music in their worship for hundreds of years after Christ. And I was interested in, in knowing something more about that. There is a, there's a historian by the name of James McKinnon, if you want to Google him. He did a lot of work on this. And his estimation is that mechanical instruments of music, music were not used regularly in the worship associated with Jesus Christ until uh, about 1,000 A.D. and afterwards. Okay. But that clearly, that clearly teaches us that those of those early years uh, did not regard mechanical instruments of music as part of their worship service. And then it says here, the Greek Orthodox Church, which broke off from the Roman Catholic Church, has never used instrumental music in their worship. And when you attend the Church of Christ, you will notice that we do not use uh, instrumental music in our worship. Those are just a little, a few statements in regard to music uh, in worship. And notice this little illustration that's in our booklet. He, he's taking a moment here. He's continuing to teach about God's commandment to sing in worship. But he's going to illustrate God's commandments from Noah building the ark. Okay. And this has been done often, but it's always very effective. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14 says, Make thee, God to uh, Noah, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make it in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. All right. Would Noah have sinned if he had built the ark of metal or mud? Yes. God's instructions are very specific and straightforward. Would Noah have sinned if he had built the ark of any other kind of wood? All right. 
When God is specific, then we cannot become general. When God specifies something, that eliminates other things. And this is in our uh, booklet as well. Notice on the left side here, uh, perhaps um, Noah had um, before him the opportunity to use metal or to use mud or to use wood. Of course, God said use wood. Noah also had before him different kinds of wood, but God specified it, that it would be gopher wood, not oak, and not ash, and not other kinds. So, in relation to that, in comparison to that, notice here on the right side, he names two different kinds of music, vocal and instrumental. And then this comment, when God said gopher wood, that automatically eliminated any other kind of wood. When God said to sing, that automatically eliminated any other kind of music. Okay. And so, again, when you're sitting down with someone, you don't get off on any other remarks. Just let, kind of let this uh, do the talking for you, and then we move on uh, to more uh, comments here. Let's read here uh, from Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. And again, the reason this is brought up is to compare... Uh, not to take us back and do things under the old law, but to compare and see what God thinks of someone, what, how God views uh, the situation when someone departs from worshiping the way He wants us to worship. So let's read Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. This will be Andrew's gift. Then Nahum and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Okay, thank you. So that's from Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, about Nadab and Abihu. Now let's look at these questions. Did Nadab and Abihu sin when they offered a different kind of fire than what God commanded? Yes. Okay. Did God punish them? Yes. And so is it important to worship God the way He commanded without alteration? Okay. All right. I want to take just a moment and add something here. In another booklet that Jerry Jenkins uh, created to do this same kind of thing, bring somebody through Scripture to bring them to a point of obedience to Christ. He explained the singing part uh, this way. And perhaps you can't see it as well, but I wanted to throw it up here anyway. If you'd like a copy of this, then we'll do, do our best to get, those, get it to you. But here's what this says under this picture. Uh, there are three ways to make music. Okay? We can play a musical, mechanical instrument... Or, uh, we can just simply sing. And then the third way to make music is to sing with a mechanical instrument of music. So you can just play the instrument, or you can sing, or you can sing and play the instrument at the same time. And then, underneath this, he lists, it says right here, following is a list of every passage in the New Testament regarding the music of the church. 
And someone named these off to you. And what he does here, he will uh, state the, the passage, and then underneath, he will have us to mark, okay, in this passage, are they playing, are they singing, or are they singing and playing? And so here's the first passage in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so in that passage, did they play, did they sing, or did they play and sing? Just sing. Okay. Second verse is Mark 14, 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out uh, into the Mount of Olives. Again, they didn't play and sing, they didn't play, they just simply uh, were singing. Okay. And it's the same situation. The next passage is from Acts chapter 16, 25. Paul and Silas in prison, and they sang uh, praises unto God at midnight. And so they were simply singing. And then um, the next one is from Romans chapter 15, verse 9. And then the next one is 1 Corinthians 14, 15. And then the next one is the one we've already read, Ephesians 5, 19. Romans uh, 15, in verse 9, says, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is uh, written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name, Romans 15, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So after, after 1 Corinthians 14, 15, there's Ephesians 5, 19, and then Colossians 3 and 16. Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. And then the next one is from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church I will sing praise unto thee. Hebrews 2 and verse 12. And then the last one here is James 5 and verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any among you merry? Merry heart? Let him... Uh, sing songs. Okay. The point that Brother Jenkins was making with this is to notice that in each passage dealing with music in the New Testament church, uh, they were simply singing. Okay. Not singing and playing, not playing, but simply uh, singing. And as I said, we have a uh, physical copy of that in the back if you'd like a copy of that sheet. Before we leave the uh, idea of music and worship, we want to reiterate uh, something that we were discussing Wednesday night. Uh, Brother, uh, Brother James, will you go ahead and read again Ephesians 5, 18 and 19? Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Okay. So before we move on, I want to uh, emphasize how that there Paul says uh, the entire congregation uh, is to 
uh, is to participate in the singing. Okay? It says, you know, speaking one to another or singing one to another. And so these are some of the remarks that we made Wednesday night in regard uh, to praise teams. Uh, various churches across our land, sometimes instead of everybody just singing together, they will select a few singers. Perhaps they'll call it a praise team. Perhaps they will select more than just a few and call it a choir. Okay. But whichever, what Paul instructed was not a few to sing, but rather all to sing together. So that's our first point here uh, under the idea of praise teams. Uh, these uh, singing passages require that the entire congregation uh, would be participating. And so we see that in Ephesians uh, 5. And then Colossians 3, we just read too. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. Okay. So the whole congregation is to be singing together. Okay. It's, God doesn't want one part of the church to be active and the other ch- part of the church to be passive. He does in singing, in singing, he wants he wants everybody involved. That's what that's what the phrase uh, singing one to another, speaking one to another, addressing one another. Okay. Notice at the beginning of the verse Ephesians five nineteen, he says, speaking one to another. Okay. But then later in the verse he tells us how he wants us speaking. He wants us to be singing. Okay. And so when we're singing he wants one another involved. Okay. And that means, that means all of us. Kind of an interchange of activity. If one person is singing a song, then everybody ought to be involved in that song. That's the basic idea. Okay. If you have further trouble on that, just take the, uh, take the verses and read them backwards. Okay. Like the end of verse... Uh, Colossians 3.16, it says, Singing with grace in your hearts. And then go back up into the verse, it says, Teaching and admonishing one another. Okay. So how are we to be teaching and admonishing one another? Through the singing. Okay. In Ephesians 5.19, toward the end of the verse, it says, Singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. And look above that, okay, and it says, uh, We're to be addressing one another, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So with the singing, we are to be speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay. So the entire congregation is to be participating. The next point uh, we make in regard to praise teams or choirs is that singing together is how you fulfill this command. James read for us here, Ephesians 5, 18, that says we ought to be filled with the Spirit. But the way that's written there, there's kind of a little comma after it says be filled with the Spirit, and Paul goes on and says, here's how you're to be filled with the Spirit. You're to be speaking one to another and doing some singing. Okay. That's how we fulfill um, that command to be filled with the Spirit. We won't be, when we worship together, in other words, we, won't, we want to be filled with God. We want to be filled with the thoughts of God. We want to be filled with the Word of God. And we want to be filled with gratitude toward God. And then that is to come out of us uh, in singing. Okay. And all of us are to be doing it uh, together. No such thing as worshiping for somebody else. Okay. No such thing as that. 
Just suppose uh, the guys up here serving the Lord's Supper uh, decided that instead of passing the emblems, they were just going to say, well, we're going to take this bread and this is for you. We're going to do this for you. And we would say, well, that's, that's silly. That, well, there's no difference in that and having a few select singers to get up front or sit on the front pew and sing for the rest of us. Okay. And the same thing with giving and so forth. Right. Next idea here is, in regard to praise teams and choirs, is the Lord desires the entire congregation to sing as a unified body. Unified body. He doesn't want one or a few voices to be lifted up above others. Romans 15 makes this uh, rather clear. With one voice, it says there in Romans 15 and verse 6, He wants uh, us to be glorifying the Lord. And then as we just read a moment ago, Romans 15 verse 9 says, Part of this one voice is to be singing uh, praise unto the Lord. And so, uh, as we sing, part of our responsibility is to make sure we are singing together. As a unified body, uh, sending up praise unto the Lord. Okay. It's true, God wants us singing whether we consider ourselves a good singer or not. But here's one thing that He also wants. He wants us to be together. He wants us to be together. He wants us not only singing, but He wants us to be listening to each other, hearing each other, so that we can create a unified Voice, one voice that sends praise up unto the throne of God. Okay. And then this, and we won't even make much comment about this, this is obvious, but women are to never be in a leadership role uh, with a mixed group in any assembly of the church uh, or, or any uh, work thereof. The Bible clearly uh, teaches that in several places. And then uh, Jesus teaches against any form of entertainment or individual prominence in the worship of the church. You remember there in Matthew uh, 6, he condemned those guys who wanted to stand up in the corners of the streets or stand up in special places in the synagogues and, and pray or speak so they could be heard of men. Okay. They were simply doing it to be, to be seen. They wanted to be thought of as important or prominent. And if there's anything that broke the heart of Jesus, if there's anything that he really disdained, uh, it is this. Okay? This idea of individual or a few who are prominent or seeking to be prominent above others. Okay? And so again, these ideals uh, legislate against any sort of choir or praise team. We want to make that uh, rather clear because... Evidently, there's more and more practice of this happening among various churches and even in some uh, churches of Christ. Okay. From Matthew chapter 26, we're going to go back to our regular booklet now. Still a couple details about the worship of the church. Let's read from Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 29. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay. 
Very good. So from Matthew chapter 26, let's look at these questions. Uh, would it be a sin to put jam on the bread to improve the taste? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. Would it be a sin to add vitamin tonic to the fruit of the vine to uh, help our enthusiasm in serving God? I don't know how that would help your enthusiasm, but there it is. Um, it would be a sin. Be a sin. God specified so we don't generalize. Okay. He specifically said the fruit of the vine and the unleavened uh, bread. And so this one, would it be a sin then to add hamburgers and milkshakes to the Lord's Supper? Okay. And what's, what's he doing here? He's illustrating the obvious from the ridiculous. Okay. But, if you think about it, if we do not stay with exactly what God says, then pretty much anything goes. And that's what he's trying to illustrate here. Okay? He's not just trying to be silly. He's trying to be silly, but also he's trying to illustrate a point that once you move away from what God has specifically said, then you're going to go further and further and further away from our Lord. Again, finishing up on worship here, you see these two boxes on the left side under the Lord's Supper, bread, uh, jam, and then fruit of the vine, vitamin tonic, hamburgers, milkshakes, and on the right side, uh, vocal or instrumental music. And so it should be obvious now, going through these various scriptures, going through these various illustrations, what God would want in His worship. Would Noah have sinned if he had used oak and go for wood uh, in the ark. Yes. Yes, go for wood. Did God approve the Nadab and Abihu offering a different kind of fire than what he had commanded? No. Is it a sin to add jam and vitamin, ton- vitamin tonic and instrumental music to the worship today? That would be a yes. So finishing up the... Uh, Part of the booklet on worship, we now move to the next part, which is concerning the name of the church. Name of the church. So we have a reading here from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Right. Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, very good. So again, who built the church? Okay, our Lord Jesus. And Jesus said He is going to build whose church? Okay, his own church. Right. Right. Another passage here from Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Take, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the fall over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Okay, very good. Notice Paul to the 
elders of the church at Ephesus. So who purchased the church? The Lord did. The Lord Jesus did. And then uh, whose name then should be on the deed of the church? It would be Jesus. Okay. Still thinking about the name of the church, we have uh, this passage from 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, 10 through 13. Let's listen to this one carefully. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verses 10 to 13. A very important passage in regard to the points being made here in our booklet. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed, destroyed by the destroyer. Not all these things happened to them as examples, and they were That was a good scripture you was reading there, Andrew. Exactly the one. Not, not the one we're going to study right now. 1 Corinthians 1. Here we go. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there to be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. For now has been declared to me concerning you that my brethren, by those of Troll's household, and there are contempts among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Paulus. Say this, that each of you says, I am Paul of Paul, or I am of Paulus, or I am Cephas. Or I'm of Christ. It is Christ divided. Who will or I'm seek? Who was Paul crucified for you? Or you baptized in the name of Paul? Okay, very good. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 13. And of course, you remember Paul's instructions here. No divisions. Speak the same thing. Be of the same mind. And... Um, some of them were following uh, different ones who had taught them, saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am following Cephas. But then Paul asked this question, is Christ divided? Okay, was Paul crucified for you? And of course, uh, uh, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not, of course not. And so why are you dividing among yourselves? So these questions uh, with 1 Corinthians uh, 1, is it... Um, is it a sin to name a church after Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or any other human being? Yes. Violating what God has said. If the church were named after Paul, whom would we be glorifying? Who would get the glory? Okay, Paul. If the church were named after a religious act, such as repentance, then what would we be glorifying then? We would be glorifying the act of repentance. Correct. If it were a sin to name it the Pauline Church, would it also be a sin to name it the Lutheran Church? 
Pretty good question there. Be a yes. If we were a sin to name uh, it the Repentance Church, then would it also be a sin to name it the Baptist uh, Church? Both uh, terms re- referring to a religious act, repentance and baptism. And so, uh, of course, that would be a yes as well. Can you think of other unauthorized religious names that are used today? And all you have to do is just kind of look around when you're going up and down the roads and you'll see many of those. Notice this from Colossians 3 and verse 17. Paul says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So here's the question, are we to do all? Are we to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus? Yes or no? Yes? Would this include the name by which we refer to God's people? Yes. Then, next page, Romans 16, 16 says, Salute one another with... And holy kiss, the churches of Christ salute you. Do you read of the church of Christ in the Bible? Yes, you read about it there in that passage. Uh, Would it be wrong to call the church by this name? And uh, that would be a no. Would this name glorify the one who built the church and bought it with its blood? The last page here, Hebrews 8 and verse 5, again, making an important point about our day using the day of Moses, who served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, or see, says he, that thou make all things according to the pattern that was showed unto you in the mount. Moses went up to the mount to receive his instructions and then he came back down and shared it with the people. But God had said to him, make sure you make all these things according to the pattern that I have shown you. And so was Moses warned to build the tabernacle after God's pattern? That's a yes. So must we be careful to build the church after God's pattern? I would suggest uh, this. When we follow God's pattern, it is God building the church, not us building it. It's God working through us only because we are doing uh, what He says to do. And then, uh, this summary, lessons that we have learned, Jesus is uh, the builder, owner, and head of the church. Number two, Jesus built only uh, one Church, back, back. I lost myself. Let's see. Here we go. Thank you. Jesus built only one church. Unity among the followers of Jesus is commanded and division is condemned. Number four, we must um, go to the New Testament to learn the organization, worship, and name of the church. And number five, God has decreed that there be uh, qualified elders and deacons in every congregation. Now, number six, in the worship services of the church, we are commanded 
to partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, to teach God's Word, to pray, to sing, to make a contribution. And number seven, the name Church of Christ is scriptural and would glorify the one who built the church and bought it uh, with his blood. Thank you so much, fellows, for helping us read and to making clear what God has said about his church. Thank you uh, to those working up in the top shelf up there, helping us to get these things on the uh, monitors and to uh, make them orderly and clear to all of us. Let's think just a moment as we come to a close this evening. As I said earlier, we were studying through the patriarchal age. and This question came up, what was, or what is, what is the first recorded command? What is God's first recorded command of the Bible? And the answer to that is, let there be light. Let there be light. And for us today, we can't help but think of Second uh, Corinthians 4 and verse 4 where it says that the devil works to blind the minds of the un- unbelieving lest the light of the gospel should come into their lives. The devil knows that people need the light that comes from God's word in order to go to heaven. He works very hard to block that light, to blind our minds. We must step back and approach God and His Word with an open mind. Just be as open and sincere and honest before our Lord as we possibly can be. This evening it may be that someone's here and you're at that point. You've been reading God's Word and you're at a point in your life where everything has just opened up to you. The light from God's Word has, has come, come into your life. And you're at a point in your life where you can be just completely open and sincere with Him. It's a great place to be in. We don't need to stay there. We need to complete our obedience. We need to obey. We need to, we need to apply God's Word to our lives. We need to obey Him in the plan of salvation as we've been reading about uh, this evening. We've been reading also about the church. It's important for us to know, well, when I obey, then what? Well, God adds you to His church. The church that Jesus built with His blood, purchased with His blood, the church that God organized, the the church through which we worship together on the first day of the week, the church that glorifies the Lord and everything, even in His name, that church. So if you're here and you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism for the remission of sins, we, we have everything ready to do that tonight. If, if you can't make that move tonight, even later tonight, or in the morning, any time that you are ready, then we will seek to be ready as well. Let there be light. 
God has created the world, but He also wants to create new people. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. God still is saying, let the light of my word go forth. He wants to create new people out of us. If we can help you with any spiritual need this evening, please make that known right now as we stand together and as we sing, Brother Beatrice.